All right. So today is uh, a number of things that are that are quite important, actually. Um, as you've seen, today begins the season of Advent, and uh, actually, if uh, if we look at it, today is the day that we would normally be talking about hope. That is uh, the also the coming of the prophets. Today also begins. Uh, this is the first day of the church calendar. So. You know, there are fiscal calendars, and then we have uh, the, the secular calendar that begins January 1st. Um, you have the school year, right, that begins in, well, in August now, right? But uh, the church calendar actually begins on the first Sunday of Advent, so that's, that all starts over. And as I'm going to go into in more detail today, today, or I should say this evening, which for the Jewish people technically begins tomorrow, is the first evening of Hanukkah. And uh, I actually want to talk about Hanukkah today. But before we press on, I want to briefly address this first Sunday of Advent. Um, it is the, the, the Sunday where we think about hope. Hope is future-directed. But it's interesting, we look back in time and we see that the prophets in the Old Testament were um, foretelling the coming of Messiah. And that gave everybody something to look forward to. So in Isaiah 9, chapter 9, verse 2, it says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. For those who live in the land of deep darkness, a light will shine. Well, Jesus in John 8, 12 said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. There's a, a, a lot of, uh, of talk this season about light and how important light is. And if you think about it, for ancient peoples, it got kind of scary in the wintertime because the days got shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter. They didn't have any way of predicting what was going to happen. And, you know, so what happens if eventually the days get shorter and shorter and then it's just all night? So light was very, very important to them. And this goes all the way back to ancient pagan festivals. We see that Jesus is the light of the world. Um, and then it says just a little further on in Isaiah chapter 9, I believe it begins with verse 6. It says, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. As Pastor Craig has pointed out on a number of occasions, there is an Old Testament uh, prophecy concerning uh, revealing the Trinity. Here's Jesus, who is called Wonderful Counselor. Well, the Holy Spirit is called Counselor. Mighty God. So he's one with God the Father, right? Everlasting Father. So the Son is called Everlasting Father. You know, nobody knew how that all worked, and today we still have a hard time understanding it. But the reality is Jesus is the Prince of Peace, and He embodies the Trinity, The Trinity, right? God is coexistent, co-eternal, and co-equal. So that means that really, when you look at one person of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Spirit, you also have present the other persons of the Trinity. And you see that. Uh, here in this prophecy in Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7, and it says his government and his peace will never end. Well, uh, the Jewish people were, and still many of them are, looking for an earthly rule, an earthly government, but we see that Jesus came first to establish the kingdom of God in the hearts of human beings. The prophecy to Mary was uh, that she would call this, this, uh, this virgin-born child Jesus, 
Yeshua, which means the Lord saves. And he will be called, uh, the, the angel Gabriel said, he will be called great and will be called son of the Most High. The last Old Testament prophet, how many of you think you know who the last Old Testament prophet was? So you might look, and, and, and if you look at your, at your last book in the Bible, uh, in the, uh, not in the Bible, the last book in the Old Testament, that book is the book of? Malachi. But Malachi is not the last Old Testament prophet. Uh-oh. The last Old Testament prophet is actually found in the New Testament. John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the last Old Testament prophet. And his message was, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Repent. You need to have a reformation in your heart and in your life and in your character in preparation for the coming of the Lord. And then Jesus' uh, very first message was repent and believe the gospel. And the gospel, of course, is the good news, right? So uh, that introduces today as the, the first Sunday of Advent, the Sunday that focuses on hope, anticipation, expectation. Jesus came the first time and Jesus promised that he will return. And that's where we need to set our hope, not on all of these things on earth that are rapidly passing away. Tonight, as I mentioned, is uh, uh, begins Hanukkah for our Jewish friends. And I brought a, a Hanukkah menorah for you all to look at. This is a, a very, very beautiful uh, candelabra, if you will, called a menorah. And the Hanukkah menorah has nine branches. In the middle, there is a branch that holds a candle that's called the shamash. Say shamash. And that means the attending or the attendant candle. This one is lit so that you can light the others. Now, in actuality, if we were lighting this for Hanukkah, these other candles wouldn't be here. We would place one candle at a time, me facing this from right to left, and then we would light them one night at a time, right? So tonight, the first candle of Hanukkah is lit. And Jewish people will often put uh, a a menorah like this in their window or near the doorway. Uh, Jewish uh, people will have uh, often in their doorways a little, looks like an ornate uh, metallic box that you screw into the doorpost and it's called a mezuzah, say mezuzah. And inside the mezuzah is a copy of the Shema, right? Uh, the Shema is, the, is uh, Deuteronomy chapter six, verse five and following. And the reason it's called the Shema is because that's the way it starts. Shema Israel, right? Listen, hear, O Israel, the Lord our Lord is one Lord, and you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Put that right there on the doorway, and as uh, someone in a Jewish home or an observant home leaves, they will kiss the mezuzah or touch the mezuzah and come in. And this would be placed near the mezuzah. And there are regulations for this. And if you want to look into this in more detail, um, there's a website uh, called, oh, what is it called? Sh Shabbat.com? Hang on. Yeah, Chabad.org, C-H-A-B-A-D.org. And it will tell you what the Jewish practices are for all of these sorts of things. But I thought that that was, you know, it's important for you to understand what's going on uh, in the, the Jewish life because many of our practices are, are coming forth from uh, Jewish practice. Now, the interesting thing about Hanukkah is it is the only one of the Jewish uh, festivals 
that is not mentioned in the Old Testament. It is mentioned in the intertestamental literature, which collectively is often referred to as the Apocrypha. How many of you have heard of the Apocrypha, right? So in many Bibles, you will find those books which were about the intertestamental period, that is the period between Malachi and Matthew, it's a 400 year period, it's a, it's a lot of four centuries, right? And a lot of things happened uh, to the Jewish nation in that period. Now, why should we be interested? Well, the Apostle Paul, we just looked at this as a matter of fact in my Bible study, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the Apostle Paul said, these things happened to them as examples for us. These things happened to the Jewish people as examples for who? Upon whom the end of the ages has come. So while the Old Testament books, ending with Malachi, are the only inspired and authoritative books for faith and practice, there is still value in learning from the Jewish history in that intertestamental period, which is referred to in the historical books that are written about the time period. So there is a, uh, a, an apocryphal book called First Maccabees, and it covers uh, some important events uh, that took place in about uh, the, the second century BC, 165 BC is when these events began to unfold. And uh, it concerns a time when the Jewish people had been overtaken by the Greeks. So Alexander the Great conquered the known world. We've all probably heard about Alexander the Great. Uh, and then he passed away. And when he died after conquering the known world, then this is the Western world, right? This didn't include China and, and uh, the Far East, but he conquered the all the way to India, really. And uh, when he died, there was no ruler, no leader that was strong enough to rule that entire kingdom. So it was divided between four of his generals. And by the time you, you, know, you come a couple hundred years later, there is a ruler that is a descendant from that line of rulers, um, that came from one of his generals that seeks to enforce Greek culture, Hellenistic culture on the Jewish people. Now, when I say enforce, he wanted them to leave their religion behind, to stop worshiping Yahweh and to stop following their customs. They were not to circumcise their babies. They were not to offer sacrifices in the temple. And in fact, um, this ruler, whose name is Antiochus Epiphanes, uh, set up a pagan altar in the Jewish temple and slaughtered a pig on it. If you know anything about uh, the, uh, the uh, eating ritual of uh, the Jewish people, you will know that uh, pork is not kosher. Pork is not acceptable. And so this was uh, this was a, an offense to observant Jews. But there were still many, many Jews who were willing to go along with this. They were willing to accommodate and to, um, to compromise and to really begin to take on Hellenistic culture. But a group of uh, a family, uh, a group of young men came along and they're, they're usually referred to as the Maccabees after the, the main leader, whose name was Judas Maccabeus, which just means Judas the Hammer. And they were led by their father, who told them that what they must do is they must take back their nation and take back the temple. And so they fought, 
And this is a, a small group of Jewish uh, militia who fought against the Greeks and actually uh, kicked them out of their land and won back the land. Um, when they did, they sought to rededicate the temple. So Hanukkah means dedication. And the festival of, festival of Hanukkah uh, has eight candles that are lit. Now, again, this is the ninth, the, the shamash. It it's, doesn't count. It's the one that lights the others. But these eight candles represent eight nights. And the reason why they are there and they light them is because the rededication of the temple was to last eight nights. Now, here's some information about that. This is from, again, this is not the inspired word of God, but this is a historical document that informs us as to where this came from, and I believe we can learn from it. And I'm, in fact, I'm going to give you a lesson from it that I believe we can apply to ourselves today, and I'm going to provide you with scripture to buttress that lesson. But this is in 1 Maccabees 4, beginning with verse 36, and you're not going to find that unless you get a Catholic Bible or a Bible that has the Apocrypha. Um, I am reading this from the New Revised Standard Version with Apocrypha. Then Judas and his brothers, remember I said his name was Judas what? Maccabeus, right? Judas the hammer. Then Judas and his brothers said, see our enemies are crushed. Let us go up to cleanse the sanctuary and dedicate it. Sanctuary meaning the temple. So all the army assembled and went up to Mount Zion. There they saw the sanctuary desolate, the altar profaned and the gates burned. In the courts they saw bushes sprung up as in a thicket or as on one of the mountains. They also saw the chambers of the priests in ruins. Then they tore their clothes and mourned with great lamentation. They sprinkled themselves with ashes and fell face down on the ground. And when the signal was given with the trumpets, they cried out to heaven. Then Judas detailed men to fight against those in the citadel until he had cleansed the sanctuary. He chose blameless priests devoted to the law and they cleansed the sanctuary and removed the defiled stones to an unclean place. Now, in the process of doing this, they lit the sanctuary with a menorah, right? Now, it wouldn't have been candles, it would have been oil, right? These are, these are, these are oil lamps, but it's, it's in a, uh, a branched candelabra. And they, they lit the, the, the interior of the temple with this menorah. Now, the, the legend behind this, this is not found in this history, but the legend that the Jewish people uh, promote to this day is that there was only one cruise of oil. There was only, there was only one uh, vessel with oil in it that had not been defiled by uh, the, the pagans, by the Hellenists. And so in order to light the temple during this period of dedication, they were going to need to not just have oil, not just have any light, but to have this purified oil <clears throat> because they were dedicating the temple, rededicating the temple to the Lord. And so they needed to follow the instruction from the law. So they took this purified oil. There was only one cruise left and they poured it in and it should have only lasted one day, but it lasted eight days. And so to this day, um, if you attend a, a home that is celebrating Hanukkah, they will talk to you about the miracle of the oil. And in fact, a lot of the, the foods that are eaten during Hanukkah are fried in oil, in olive oil, as a, uh, as a testament to this, right? So um, that 
occurred during this time period that is being referred to in 1 Maccabees chapter 4 here. They cleansed the sanctuary and removed the defiled stones to an unclean place. They deliberated what to do about the altar of burnt offering, which had been profaned, and they thought it best to tear it down so that it would not be a lasting shame to them that the Gentiles had defiled it. So they tore down the altar and they stored the stones in a convenient place on the temple hill until a prophet should come and tell them what to do. Verse 47, then they took unhewn, that means uncut stones, and that was the, the law in the Old Testament, right? Our works are not valuable to God. It's our trust and our fear of the Lord, amen? So uh, the, the, the altar was to be made of uncut stones. It was not to, uh, to be defiled by human effort. And so they followed that law. They took unhewn stones as the law directs and built a new altar like the former one. They also rebuilt the sanctuary and the interior of the temple and consecrated the courts. They made new holy vessels, right? So they had all sorts of vessels uh, that were, were used in the temple. And they brought the, the lampstand, the altar of incense, and the table into the temple. Then they offered incense on the altar and lit the lamps on the lampstand, and these gave light in the temple. They placed the bread on the table and hung up the curtains. Thus, they finished all the work they had undertaken. Early in the morning, on the 25th day of the ninth month, ninth month which is the month of Chislav, in the 148th year, they rose and offered sacrifice as the law directs on the new altar of burnt offering that they had built. And at the very season, on the very day that the Gentiles had profaned it, it was dedicated with songs and harps and lutes and cymbals. And the people fell on their faces and worshiped and blessed heaven who had prospered them. So they celebrated the dedication of the altar for eight days. That is the origin of the eight days, right? because the original celebration of the dedication, or shall I say, the rededication of the temple lasted eight days. So this comes from 1 Maccabees 4:56. They celebrated the dedication of the altar for eight days and joyfully offered burnt offerings. They offered a sacrifice of well-being and a thanksgiving offering. That seems appropriate, right? Verse 57, they decorated the front of the temple with golden crowns and small shields, and they restored the gates and the chambers for the priests and, the fitted, and fitted, with, fitted them with doors. Then there was a very great joy among the people, and the disgrace brought by the Gentiles was removed. Then Judas and his brothers and all the assembly of Israel determined that very year, at that season, the days of dedication of the altar should be observed with joy and gladness for eight days beginning with the 25th month uh, of Chislav, right? So that is why, down to our day, the Jewish people still celebrate this feast called the Feast of the Dedication. Now, it is mentioned in the New Testament. Jesus was walking in the temple, and it says, during the Feast of Dedication. It is also often called the Festival of Lights because of the lighting of the menorah candle, right? So what I want you to see um, first of all, that's a history lesson, I understand, and perhaps you don't come to church for a history lesson, but I think that uh, you know, we have so much secular news and we're informed about so many things that are going on around us in our day, we've just lost history. We don't know what any of this means. Uh, you know, you'll, you'll see uh, even politicians wishing Happy Hanukkah, but they don't even understand what that means. Um, it was essentially a season of rededication, rededication of the people and rededication of the altar and rededication of the temple. So Advent is about anticipation and Hanukkah is about dedication. Amen? Very, very important and very appropriate. 
Hanukkah then is about the rededication of God's temple after it had been defiled. What is the temple of God today? We are. We are. That's absolutely right. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit, whom you have within you, who is from God. You've been bought with a price, therefore glorify God with your body. And then collectively, this is about a month ago I preached this, we form the temple of God. Now, may I say to you, this season of Advent often is seen as just a, a time of celebration and, and you know, expectation for Christmas coming. And Christmas is very much a children's holiday with, with uh, the, the Christmas tree and presents and all these sorts of things. But in the ancient church, it was actually a time of, of expectant waiting that was accompanied by fasting and mourning and repentance. And we have a hard time reconciling ourselves with that. That's, that's Lent for us, but that doesn't seem to apply to Advent. But I really have been praying about how to present this to you as a, as a community. Um, but I really believe that the time has come for us to rededicate ourselves to the Lord. We need revival, friends. You need revival. Every Sunday, I can feel it. I can feel it in myself. I can feel it, I can see it in you. You're wonderful people, you're amazing people, but you need revival, amen? And your part in that is to rededicate yourself to the Lord, to recommit yourself to the Lord, to take the altar of your life and present that to Him. So what is that for us? Um, in Romans 12:1, it says, in view of the mercies of God, offer your bodies as living sacrifices to Him, holy and acceptable. You, you, you offer your body, this temple of the Holy Spirit, as a living sacrifice to God, because everything that you do on earth, you do with your body, right? You really do. You, you can't do anything down here without your body. So you're gonna dedicate this to the Lord. That should include your health, all right? We'll probably talk about that again in January and so forth. But really, it's a matter of what are you doing with your mind? Where's your mind running? What are you doing with your time? What are you doing with your money? What are you doing with your talent, with your gifts? What are you doing with these things? Where are you? See, you're not bad people. I'm not a bad person. But we often take what God has given us and we just waste it. Right? We're not out running around doing terrible things. It's, it's unlikely that any of you are doing any horrible things. But that doesn't mean that we don't have a need to recommit ourselves and rededicate ourselves and focus ourselves properly. Because this temple is a temple of the Holy Spirit. But you know, I think that, you know, look, look at church as a, you know, as a whole and consider that when they came back to the temple, what did they find? They found something that had been defiled, and they found something that had been neglected, and they found something that had been abandoned. It says, they saw the sanctuary desolate, the altar profaned, the gates burned. In the courts they saw bushes sprung up as a thicket. What does that mean? They haven't been taking care of it. Right? So if you've got bushes growing up between the, you know, the, the cracks of the stones and the floor, you haven't been taking care of it, have you? So, see, the way it started was they embraced secular culture. They embraced Hellenism. 
they thought it was a good idea to get along with the Greeks. And they saw many of the Greek ideas as being valuable. And in embracing this secular culture, they eschewed the traditions that they had been brought up in. They turned away from the Word of God. They turned away from the law. They turned away from worshiping the Lord. They began to practice syncretism. All right, say that word. All right, big word that basically means you mix one thing with another. Specifically, you mix secular culture or you mix other religious ideas with your faith that comes from the scripture. And you create something that is completely different. And that's what we find in many churches today, syncretism. You walk into a church today and you hear some of the preaching going on and you would wonder if you were actually in a church of Jesus Christ. Right, they may quote little snatches of scripture here and there and uh, you know, they may have some, some rituals that they still perform and they, they may talk about Advent and all these sorts of things. But when you look at uh, at their values, when you look at what they're actually doing with their lives in these churches, uh, they're not following Jesus. Well, you know what? I, I'm not here to preach against other communities of faith or ostensibly of faith. Uh, I'm not here to tell you what somebody else is doing wrong because that's not, that's not my responsibility. My responsibility is to lead you to live your life for Jesus, to lead this church into a time of rededication and revival. Amen? And that's not something that I'm going to whip you up and lather you up to do emotionally in one day. I believe that we can allow the season of Advent to lead us back to the Lord in rededication. Amen? Amen. Now, again, I'm not, you know, you need to allow the Holy Spirit to convict you. You need to allow the Holy Spirit to shine the light in areas of your life that need to change, that need to be amended. You need to allow God to, to convict you of things that you need to repent of and things that you need to repent toward. By the way, that repentance means turning, right? Turning from one thing to another thing. Repentance doesn't just mean you're doing this bad thing. Now stop doing it. That's kind of what we think of repentance. But repentance is also turning toward the Lord and embracing the, the, the way of the Lord, embracing the law, embracing the direction that the Lord calls us to. Friends, we're just consumers. We're just little secular people. Uh, we don't really look a whole lot like followers of Jesus, to be quite honest with you. We just don't. Right? And I don't think you need to be weird and religious. Those of you that have been coming here, and some of you have been coming a long time, you know me, I don't like religious stuff. I really don't. It took a long time before we started doing Advent and some of these things because it, it can just feel so ritualistic and religious, and I, that's not what I want us to do. I want you to be really, genuinely, honestly, wholeheartedly dedicated to Jesus. That's what I'm here to lead you to do, young and old. And you need to examine your life. That's what this message is about. You need to rededicate, first of all, your heart and your life, your temple and your family. I, I, I think it's wonderful. Hanukkah is celebrated in the home. It's not centered on the synagogue. It was not centered on the temple, even though it was the rededication of the altar. It's celebrated in the home. Isn't that interesting? Because it's about you offering yourself as a living sacrifice to God, you having a clean pathway to worship the Lord. And so I believe that during this time of Advent, 
rather than just running around to all the stores and buying presents and eating more and more stuff. I, I'm not saying don't buy presents. I'm not saying don't eat. I'm not saying don't celebrate. I, I'm not even coming full, you know, heavy handed on us and saying we all need to fast from now until, uh, you know, Christmas Eve or something. But I am saying that I believe that during this time, I would really ask you to evaluate your personal life and evaluate the, the, the life of your family, the practices in your family, and decide, determine with all you are to dedicate yourself and your family to the Lord Jesus. Amen? You say, well, I already am. Well, okay, then, you know, maybe this message is not for you. But the next level is our church needs rededication. Our church needs to have a wholehearted love for Jesus rather than a tendency to just show up and sing a few songs and and you know again you guys are, are wonderful folks man you you continue to support us financially through the ridiculous shutdown and pandemic and everything and now they're trying to scare us again all the Omicron variant is out there oh my goodness it, they're never going to stop you do realize that right it was 15 days to to stop the spread and now we're on the Omicron variant and you know you got Austria saying that unless people are vaccinated, they're going to lock them down in their homes, right? You've got Australia, Australia that had these huge protests because of the draconian measures that they were taking. It's like fear, 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 fear. Listen, faith in Jesus is the opposite of fear. Amen. Amen. So as I said, we need to just be open-hearted worshipers of the Lord. And, you know, I want you to evaluate your life. I want you to evaluate your family. I want you to evaluate what you're doing. What are you doing for Christmas, right? Is it just a secular holiday really for you? Or do you use it as a means of focusing on the Lord? So this year, I really, really specifically did not, and I'm not against Christmas trees. I think they're beautiful, right? In fact, I might buy one of the little live ones like I did a couple years ago. Uh, at, at uh, Kroger and bring it, bring it over here. But I've only got one Christmas tree in here, right? That's this one. But you'll notice we've got the, you know, the, the manger little scene out there in the window, and you've got the manger scene here because the focus is on Jesus. The focus is not on garland. The focus is not on lights. The focus is not on trees. The focus is not on Santa and snowmen. The focus is Jesus, amen? So see, if you would just use the holiday as an opportunity to refocus your life, and refocus your family and teach your children. Amen? Amen. Uh, you, we just teach them to be little consumer people, right? Presents, presents, gifts, 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 gifts. I, I'm not saying don't give presents and, and don't you know, have an exciting, wonderful Christmas morning, uh, but I'm saying focus your attention on the Lord Jesus. Let's take this season that is supposed to be about Jesus supposed to be about the celebration of the birth of Christ, not the celebration of winter. See, that's what we've done. We've just taken on these pagan practices, exactly like the, the Hasmoneans. That's, that's the actual name of, of the Maccabees, the Hasmoneans. They were pushing away. They were throwing off those pagan practices. You need to really be a Christian, amen? Not a fake Christian, not a Christian by name only, but a genuine Christian. Not an American Christian, but a Jesus-following Christian. Somebody that lives their life for the Lord, that is dedicated to the Lord, that worships Jesus. And I think that's what Hanukkah can teach us. And this is how I'm bringing Hanukkah together with Advent. 
because for the next eight days, our Jewish friends are going to be lighting uh, this menorah and they're going to be celebrating the rededication of the temple. Well, men, maybe take the next eight days and use that as an opportunity to reevaluate your life. Amen. That's from this Sunday all the way through the next Sunday. And you know, make a determination that you're going to do some things differently, that you want your life to be fully and thoroughly the Lord's, right? So in order for this to happen, to rededicate your life, you have to have actually dedicated your life to Jesus to begin with, amen? That's the first thing that we do. There is a tendency when you have been involved in a church for any period of time to be presumptive. You just presume that you are a Christian. You presume that you believe, but presumption and faith are not the same thing. The scripture says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, that means he's the one in charge. And you believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, then you shall be saved. And then it says, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Listen, salvation is intentional. That means you need to want it and you need to call on the Lord. You need to choose to dedicate yourself. Now, I've given my testimony here before, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time redoing it. But when I was 16 years old on Easter Sunday of 1978, it took me uh, really a couple of years to go from praying a prayer in my head and saying, Lord, I, I need to be saved, to dedicating myself publicly to the Lord Jesus Christ in a church by coming forward, that's what they did. They had an invitation and they invited you to come forward and then the following Sunday being baptized. It was intentional. It's what I wanted. It's what I decided to do. I didn't say, oh, my grandma was a really strong Christian and I just, you know, I kind of agree with her. Or my daddy was a Southern Baptist and even though he was a terrible one, you know, that's, I'm just gonna kind of call myself that. No, I chose to give my life to Jesus and I have, failed many times, but I've been following Jesus ever since I was 16 years old. And there have been times, and I think this is one of them, when I have fallen and skinned my knees and needed to ask the Lord to help me up so that I could rededicate my life. And rededicating your life involves eradicating sin from your life. Amen? Amen. Stop tolerating sin in your life. Yeah. That's what we need to do. Start asking the Lord to encourage you, to fill you with courage so that you can day after day, one day at a time, one moment at a time, throw off the sin, the besetting sin that so easily entangles you and run the race that is set before you, following Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. Amen? You read about that in uh, Hebrews chapter 12. So that's what I would encourage you to do today. If you have not ever dedicated your life to Jesus, intentionally stopped and said, Jesus Christ, you are Lord. I give my life to you. Then do that today. This is your opportunity. Now, uh, I'm going to ask Miss Mary to be standing down here to pray with anyone. I'll be standing here. Pastor Craig will be over here. If you want to pray with one of us about a decision like that, then you can come down and we'll pray with you about that. Or if you just want to pray with us about something else, right? There is a decision that we need to make for the Lord Jesus Christ to live our lives for him. And you can do that today. All right. So we're going to sing another song and I'm going to ask you to join in and, and just really ask the Lord what he wants you to do. What changes does he want you to make? 
and let's see the Lord uh, bring this church to the place where he wants it to be. Amen?